everyone. Welcome to Grace All Around, a queer faith podcast. This is the first time we're saying this at the beginning of the podcast. Good on us. Yay, we did it. I'm Della Christ. I'm Katie Keller. We're your hosts. Katie, what are we talking about today? Today we're talking about me. Wow, my favorite topic. No, your favorite topic is you. I do like to talk about myself, but I like to listen to you talk about yourself. Oh, that's nice. Because I like you. So, today we're talking about me. Why? Why are we talking about me? Well, we already talked about you. Yes, we did. And uh, I had a very different experience in uh, almost every facet of my life. Particularly as it pertains to faith and sexuality. Yes, particularly, which is why it is. Because um, it's a queer faith podcast. It's, which is why it's relevant. for the Intersection the, of faith and, or uh, of sexuality and spirituality. Yeah, that is in the intersection there. And those are specifically the parts of my life that are very different from yours. I will say, in general, the areas in which our childhoods and upbringings overlapped. We both were in middle class white nuclear families yeah yeah i think my family is probably a little more affluent than yours yours is you That's also like flex on you guys no That's no, just no the reality you also have like uh, there's a uh, significantly more like generational wealth that yeah. uh is in your family and so generally yeah middle class um and as far as when you were living in montana small town you did have a much more suburban city life when you moved to montana or when you moved to Yeah, but I have context for small town. You do, yeah. Um, So that is where our upbringings overlap. And we were both raised in the church. And that is where the similarities end. (laughs) Not entirely. Not entirely, no. We have, like, through conversation, sussed out similarities in the faith traditions that we were raised in. Mm -hmm. Like, most Christian denominations are more similar than they are different. That is very true, yeah. But where we differ had big, lasting impacts on our lives. Yes, So I would like to say at the top, a trigger warning for anyone who has religious trauma specifically around evangelizing. That's where we're headed. So (laughs) this episode is not going to be all rainbows and fairies and uh, going to the Capitol to fight for (laughs) marriage equality. Uh, Yeah, correct. So I was raised in small town, Wisconsin, in the Evangelical Covenant Church. What the heck is that, you may ask. Don't worry, I have some snippets from their website. Katie's far more of a researcher than I am. (laughs) True. So, the mission of the Evangelical Covenant Church is, we join God in God's mission to see more disciples among more populations in a more caring and just world. We pursue this through five strategic priorities. One, start and strengthen churches. Two, make and deepen disciples. Three, develop leaders, four, love, mercy, do justice, and five, serve globally. Well, Katie. Sounds pretty good. Sounds pretty good, you say. Sounds non-problematic. Sounds pretty aligned with my values. You would be partially correct and partially incorrect (laughs) with that assumption. The Evangelical Covenant Church is a pietistic denomination. So the pietists uh, (laughs) branch off of the Lutherans, in, like, the 1700s. We reformed first. Yeah, we were part of that. And then we said, wait a minute, we need to do some more stuff. Like, we, we are all getting a little too comfortable in our faith right now, which is fair. Mm-hmm. We need to do some stuff. So, it's called a pietistic denomination because, uh, as you may have guessed, um, piety is sort of the, like, root word there and piety is just like generally like sort of any religious practice and stuff like that but specifically in this context um, and this is a quote they believed that any true christian could point back in his or her life to an inner struggle with sin that culminated in a crisis and ultimately a decision to start a new christ-centered life i have never once been asked to accept jesus into my heart Uh, as you will learn, very different from my experience. And then this is from the Covenant Church's website. The Covenant Church is indebted to pietist emphases on conversion and the reality of the new life in Christ. Uh, You may have heard people say like reborn or like renewed renewed second birth, discipleship and the devotional life, 
shared calling of laity and clergy, so people who are pastors and also people who aren't pastors, evangelism and mission, and institutional ministries of compassion, mercy, and justice. Again. Pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty fine. And honestly, on paper, for most of the Evangelical Covenant Church, it is pretty fine. Like, there are things that I look at and say, "Mm, I don't super agree with that, but nothing that seems inherently toxic or problematic. Yeah, and like, I would say pretty fine as in lines up pretty close to what we believe now Mm -hmm. and how we experience faith now. Right. And like I said, it is a branch of Lutheranism, a branch off of Lutheranism. Right. So it is... The main themes... Yeah, the main themes still apply. However, this is not necessarily the way that I experience this church. So before you jump into this, yeah, your experience with the Evangelical Covenant Church is totally valid. We're not making this podcast in any desire to like condemn anyone. No. Um, it's more of like just Katie sharing her story and her lived experience as a kid who was raised in this church. Right. Um, and if some of what Katie talks about makes you uncomfortable and you're a member of this church, maybe it is an opportunity to take a hard look at why Katie experienced the things she did and why your church created an environment for her to experience these things. Right. Because I am not in this saying the people that were running the church, the people that were leading the church, my parents, I am not saying that those people set out to make me feel this way, to make this an experience that impacted me negatively. I truly do not believe that anyone acted with any sort of malice or wanting to cause harm. You are simply just sharing the results of their actions. Yes, I am just sharing the results of their actions. I also will say, like, we've talked about this before. You're not trying to put words into anybody's mouth about what this denomination believes necessarily. You are sharing what you were taught to believe through this denomination. If that is not perfectly what you believe the ECC believes, Mm -hmm. okay. This is what Katie, this is Katie's experience. Right, which is why I started this by taking quotes directly from their website i do not want to put words in people's mouths and i am not putting words in people's mouths i am simply saying as a child this is what i heard that is not necessarily to say this is what was said or even what the church means to do right but you can't discount actual lived experience we're not trying to like demonize or villainize anyone no it is just katie sharing her story Right. I will not be sharing the specific congregations that I was a part of. If you know me, you probably It's not that hard to figure out. And it's not that hard to figure out. I just, uh, again, I just don't feel comfortable putting words in people's mouths or or even looking like I'm trying to demonize the people who were truly just trying to, like, do good in the world. That being said. (laughs) Here we go. Buckle up, folks. So. The, the parts of this that were very much emphasized in my spiritual upbringing were uh, having big faith moments. I don't know that they were ever like specifically worded that way, but having these big moments in your life, usually at least one very specific moment where you found yourself at the bottom of the barrel and God gave you a way out. Like, there's these big, big faith moments where even if, like, your world was fine, where you just, like, fell to your knees and asked Jesus, asked God for help, and then, in theory, received it. So, a big, like, thing that was said over and over is, like, you have to ask Jesus into your heart, um, which is something you may have heard, because uh, this denomination and many denominations, the ECC is not alone in this is not alone in this believes that you have to make a very specific very deliberate very informed decision to allow to ask to accept jesus into your heart that before you make that decision before you say those words before you whatever whatever that you are not quote-unquote saved You do not believe and therefore cannot have new life in Christ. What does being saved get you? Being saved gets you not hell. Yeah. And I say that very specifically. It gives you not hell. Not necessarily into heaven. Right. Because though, yes, in theory, 
All you need to get into heaven is the faith of a mustard seed. All you need is to say that little prayer to ask Jesus into your heart. That's it. It's super simple. It's super easy. That's all you have to do. It's all you have to do. However, the way in which that eventual conclusion is often reached is by holding heaven out as a carrot and holding hell out as a whip and using the fear of eternal suffering and damnation to say, well, would you rather suffer for eternity or say this little prayer? And as a child, that is a very easy decision. That is a very easy decision. So my dad specifically remembers the day that I accepted Jesus into my heart, the day that I asked Jesus to come into my heart. I was three years old. I do not remember this moment. Too young to make an informed decision. Right. (laughs) And that is when I started taking communion. Um, Because in my denomination, and I, I believe in most Lutheran congregations... Um, yeah, the way the church I work at now does communion is, like, when your kid is old enough to start, and I think that this is true for many congregations, it's usually early elementary school, but when your kid is, like, old enough to start asking questions about communion, then they're ready to, like, have the first communion class and take first communion. So, I think I did it probably as a first or second grader. Um, I just did a first communion with a girl who I think is a third grader, but she, like, COVID has been happening, and so, like, she probably would have done it earlier. Mm -hmm. For me and in the congregations that I was a part of, if you could in some way communicate that you believed in God and had accepted Jesus into your heart, you could do communion. Right. And I think, honestly, I probably just wanted a snack. (laughs) Because I was like three years old. (laughs) I mean, the other thing, too, is like if you're in a family where your parents are consistently saying, like, we believe in God, God Mm -hmm. loves you, like, you should love God, all this stuff. You're much more likely to say, I love God at, like, a very early age. Right. Because it was a learned behavior. Right. Like, it was being modeled for you. Same with communion. Communion is modeled for you every Sunday. Mm-hmm. And Actually, we only did communion once a month. Yeah. I mean, some churches do it every Sunday. Some churches only do it once a month. Um, Some do it every other week. But, like, you weren't necessarily old enough to start asking questions about what communion was and why you do it. But you were like old enough to recognize that this was a behavior that you could engage in and you were wondering why you weren't yeah and i haven't talked to my dad about this in quite a while and i i don't remember this interaction it clearly was not i have other memories from around that age Mm -hmm. i do not remember this moment so it clearly was not impactful enough for me to remember it in whatever way that that right is in my brain but it still became like the core of your testimony Right, which we'll get into. Uh, The other way that this becomes very easy to accept, quote unquote, accept Jesus into your heart is because at the end of every service, there was an altar call. What is an altar call? An altar call is when the person presiding over the service will say, um, and this is not like necessarily like exactly how this goes, but this is like generally in my experience how altar calls happen is that uh, at the end of the service, the pastor, whoever's presiding, will say, and now we're all going to close our eyes and we're all going to pray. And you can say this prayer after me in your head and accept Jesus into your life. If you've already accepted him into your life, you can say it again and affirm that, um, whatever. And then they will proceed to say something to the effect of, Jesus, I know that I have sinned. I know that I am imperfect. I know that I have done wrong in your eyes. Please forgive me. I believe you and I am asking you to come into my heart and save me. Amen. And then usually uh, they will say, great, if you said that prayer in your heart, uh, please like come up and tell me or uh, in my specific congregations, there usually were like a couple people who were like up in front of the church then after the service to pray with people. So people could come up and ask for prayer for specific things. And so it was very much like, please say this prayer and then please come and tell me about it um, so we can indoctrinate you more. <laughs> yeah, make you a member of the church. Right. So then you can become a member of the church and da 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 Which, like, there are parts of that that are, like, fine. This was at the end of every service that I can remember. And so I'm sure that it was at the end of every service that I can't remember as well. So as a three-year-old... I had already been to 150 
church services. Yeah. <laughs> if you went every week. Right, which we did. Yeah. Even when you were on vacation. Even when we were on vacation. Which I thought was a very normal thing. No, I mean, like, sometimes on vacation we've gone to churches, but not every vacation. The other thing is, my dad's a pastor, so Sunday is work for him. Right. So if he's taking a Sunday off, we're not going to church because my dad wants a day off. Right. Yeah, that's fair. But, yes, when we went on vacation as well, we would go to church. Usually, um, if we were going on vacation, that meant when we were going to a family's house and my mom was raised baptist and my dad was raised catholic so that's the fun little cocktail that brought you me (laughs) but if we were visiting my dad's parents we would generally go to catholic mass if we were visiting my mom's parents generally we would go to their baptist church if we were somewhere not with family part of the research for the trip would be deciding what church what church we were going to go to I really was not allowed to miss church unless I was literally on my deathbed. I remember so many times, like, wanting to sleep, being crabby, having so much to do, and it was like, you have to go to church. Like, it wasn't an option. It wasn't, it wasn't an option. It wasn't a conversation. It wasn't a discussion. You are going to church. This got a little bit more lax in my last year or so of high school um, just because I was so busy and like preparing for college. But before my junior year of high school, I can count on one hand the amount of Sundays I missed church. Along with those expectations of having big faith moments, altar calls, going to church every Sunday, there was also an expectation that you would be able to articulate your faith And there is, like, the big saying, if you are at all familiar with the Evangelical Covenant Church, the saying, where is it written, will be said all the time. Because the Covenant Church believes that, let me scroll to my notes where I have written it down exactly. The ECC rests its identity on the following affirmations. The first one is, the Bible is the only authority in matters of faith, doctrine, and life. And not only that, but that the Bible is infallible in its original form. What that means is, if you could not point to a verse in the Bible that in some way backed up or validated the things that you were believing or experiencing, you could not believe or experience it. Because everything, every possible circumstance you could ever possibly go through in your life has an answer in the Bible, has a very clear answer in the Bible. There is no way it can be misinterpreted. There is no way that it can be misconstrued. There is one way to read the Bible and it will be very clear and obvious to you. Um, Based on the last 2,000 years, that is not in fact how the Bible works. <laughs> the, the, we were reading in my confirmation class a couple weeks ago i think the bible is a human and a divine book so Mm -hmm. it was written by people like people are going to make mistakes there's no way a human being can comprehend the fullness of god so how on earth would they get the bible perfectly right right whereas in this denomination it is very the bible is divinely inspired which means that basically like God had a hand in every part of the process from the original ink on paper all the way to the current translations we have today. God had their hand in it and uh, made sure that the Bible as we have it today and the NIV version, version, because that's what we use, is this is the perfect infallible word of God. Yeah, I would say like Lutherans don't think that God wasn't involved in the creation of the Bible, but it is imperfect. And also context is key right um like my pastor will often say like there are parts of the bible that are more important than others whereas in the covenant church that is absolutely not a thing every single verse (laughs) is as important as every other verse because every verse is telling you like my my family will say that like the bible is a roadmap the bible is a roadmap for how to live your life in the year of our Lord 2021. And I'm like, okay, where does it tell me how to buy a house? Like, (laughs) there is this um, reluctancy to say that any part of the Bible is less important, to say that any part of the Bible is at all incorrect. The parts of the Bible that have been, um, that have been validated, um, um, affirmed by science and 
archaeology are hailed and praised and the parts that don't are just sort of like not talked about. And there was some understanding of context, but in a way that was acceptable. So like, for example, the braiding of hair and the wearing of jewelry. My church could understand that that was a, in cultural context. Obviously, like... Wearing mixed cloth. Where, yeah, exactly. Like, those were cu cultural context things. That was the old law. We now have the new law. And uh, we don't need to go by those things anymore. We can eat pork, whatever, whatever. And if I had said any, like, hey, this thing that the Apostle Paul wrote, he wrote... Well, a lot. Most of the New Testament. It, that was... Something was wrong with me. I was not understanding how that applied to my life. I needed to do more soul searching about that. So... You were supposed to be able to articulate your faith and not only articulate your faith, but show where it was written. You had to prove it, basically. And so uh, a lot of the emphasis in my church was on memorization of the Bible. So we, because basically the, the lesson that was taught was the devil will try to trip you up. And if you don't know your Bible, you will fall into temptation. So you need to know your Bible. You need to have, like, the sword of the spirit. You need to be fully ready for battle. You need to know Wear your Bible. Wear the armor of God. Wear the armor of God. You need to have the, the Bible memorized backwards, forwards, front. You need to know everything you can know so that you can defend your faith. Like, it was all of this very, like... You are under attack. You're, you're being yeah, persecuted. absolutely. And even to doing things like... Like, we talked a lot about martyrs, mm -hmm. specifically with the Columbine shooting, which is, like, that's not how that story went. Um, but basically, I was trained as a very, very young child to be willing to die for my faith. Like, that was, like, the ultimate sacrifice you can make for your faith. The ultimate show of faith was to die for it. And there was a lot of that rhetoric. You have to die to yourself every day to be a Christian. You have to die to your desires. You have to die to your hopes and dreams. You have to die to your expectations. You have to die to your, yourself right? And to be say, a Christian. Like, the Lutherans do talk about, like, dying each day and, like, being born anew in Christ every right. day. But, but the like, not, focus it's not on like a that, big deal. Right. The focus on that is the being reborn. Yeah. And, like. Whereas, the love of Jesus. In the love of Jesus. Whereas in this denomination, in my experience, the focus was on the dying, which is so hard then. It was hard to decide, oh, is this something that I want that I have to die to? Or is it something that God wants me to do that I need to follow? And that line becomes very difficult to traverse. And there was just a lot, yeah, a lot of that, a lot of death, dying, persecution rhetoric. And ob obviously, heaven was held up as this just, like, perfect, wonderful, you uh -huh. will not have any pain, you will not have any suffering. So yeah, perfect eternity. Perfect eternity. So if you had asked me, as a young child, if you could be anywhere, where would you be? I would have said heaven. I think I did. Like, I think that was, like, a thing that I said. And... Right, whereas, like, my answer would have been, like, the woods. Right. The mountains. <laughs> Disney. <laughs> Skiing. Like, <laughs> um... But as a child, my, like, the greatest thing I could think of was to die. That was the most wonderful, incredible, awesome experience I could think of was to literally die. You're going to look at me and tell me that's not traumatic to hear as a kid? Right. You're going to look at me and tell <laughs> me that that's not why I was in therapy at seven? I mean, that was... Not the full reason. Not the full there. reason. But there was just so much of that rhetoric. And when I was seven, trigger warning for suicidal stuff. Um, when I was seven, I had suicidal thoughts and ideology. And honestly, I justified it to myself by being like, well, if I just die, I'll go to heaven because either A, I'm too young to make a decision, so I'll go to heaven. Or B, I am old enough to make a decision, but I have made a decision. I've accepted Jesus into my heart, so I will go to heaven. But you're too young to have, like, sinned so much No, you won't go to heaven. That's not. Oh. So the, uh, different denominations have, like, specific ages for, like, when you can, like, make the decision. Oh, uh, okay. And so some are, like, you have, like, seven, like, midnight on your seventh birthday. Like, that is when you are old enough, whatever. To, like, be held accountable. To, like, be held accountable for your decision to believe in Jesus or not. Some denominations are, like, well, it's different for everybody. So then they can get away with, like, people with disabilities who, like, or people who have not heard about jesus whatever like they can kind of get around that anyway my church was very much part of that ladder 
group. So I, so I, there wasn't like a specific age that I could point to. So I was like, either God thinks I'm old enough to make my own decision and I've made it or they don't. And so I'll go to heaven anyway. And I didn't understand why my friends didn't understand that. that. Other expectations of me. <laughs> right. Can you talk about like why you were taught to live in the world then? If being oh, in heaven is Oh, this so is my next expectation. Cool. I figured that might be. Yeah, yeah. Another expectation of me was to evangelize, which is to tell other people about the good news about Jesus. In some denominations, the point of evangelizing and telling others about the good news is to share that, hey, there's a greater power out there that loves you and accepts you and would love you to be part of this community. Right? Like, I would say that, like, there are some denominations where that is sort of the goal is to show, tell people that they are loved and that they are cherished and to give practical resources as well as emotional, spiritual resources to people. Mm-hmm. That is definitely not what I was taught. I'm not saying that's not what was said. That is not what I was taught. Or it's not what you learned. That's not what I learned. Yeah, thank you. What I learned was that it was my responsibility to talk to anyone I met about God, about Jesus. And if I did not, if I had the opportunity to and I did not, and then they died and went to hell, that was on me. I could have done something about that. I was partially responsible. I have failed. I failed God. I failed my community. I failed myself by not having the courage, by not having the strength to defend my faith, to talk about my faith. So spreading the gospel and evangelizing was very much a core part of my learning. And so I, we all had to have our testimony. So at like 11, I was like, I had to give my testimony and we would often have people in the congregation or other people come and give their testimony, testimony, which is to, a testimony is generally a story of how you came to be a Christian. So usually there will be like, my life was terrible and awful and these are all the things I did and I was straying so far away from Jesus because I was... I don't know, like, addicted to porn or whatever. Right. Well, I would say, too, like, I've heard, like, addicts talk about, like, their te- like share yeah. their testimonies in, like, a, yeah, I was, like, doing drugs constantly. Yeah. And then I found my way to the church, and now my life is better because I quit doing drugs. Right. And also, because I have God in my life. Right. Also, Which, like, like, is not... Alcoholics and, Anonymous it, and Gamblers Anonymous and Narcotics Anonymous are very Christian. Yeah. And so that also, like, has something to do with it. But, yes, it doesn't necessarily have to be in a Christian context. Right. And I'm not saying, like, it's bad that these people are not doing drugs anymore. Right. But <laughs> like, generally, so that goes but like, back to that's, having, like, a really powerful testimony when someone can talk about, like, their, their life was completely Like, changed. rock bottom. Right. And so that's why it's so important to have those big faith moments so that they can become part of your testimony so that they can encourage other people. I like to think about it a little bit like an MLM. Totally. Totally. So it's like, hey, girly, uh, do you want to work 10 hours a week and make $100,000 a year? It is very much the same as, hey, um, I was super lonely and super depressed. And these are all things you can relate to. And then I found Jesus and my life is better now. And to the average person, both of those things are like, oh, my gosh, that would be so great. Like, I also am struggling for money. I also am depressed, whatever. Um, And so it's it's basically like taking the events of your life and framing them in a way that makes other people want to believe in Jesus so that you can sort of like tick another one off your list. Uh-huh. The goal was to get them to believe. There was absolutely no like aftercare. <laughs> there was no like what do you do after they believe other than like encourage them to come to church, I guess. <laughs> but like that was it. That was the end goal was to get them to believe in Jesus. Like sign sealed, delivered, done. That is the goal. And I mean, I, theoretically, you could say that, like, once someone, like, says they believe, then they, like, go to a church and, like, become a part of a church community. Right. Well, it's just not always. No. Although, like, that was not Often. Th- often. And people in my parents' church would often say that you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, but you can't be a good Christian if you don't go to church. Like, you can, like, believe in God and in Jesus and not go to church. But if you actually truly do believe in Jesus and you actually truly do want to, like, live for him... Uh, then you will, that will be shown in your life that the good fruit of that will be that you will go to church and you will be active in your community. <laughs> Bell's making face at me. <laughs> well, I would say, like, I don't think I was taught not that, but, like, it was much more of a, like, 
yeah, we want you to be a part of this church community because it's just a good community of faith that will support you and love you. Like, it's not any, like, you're bad if you don't. Yeah, I think that there was a more, like, people were just, like, very concerned about you if you didn't come to church. And there was a both a negative uh, association with people who, like, only came to church on Christmas and Easter. Yeah. But also... We were like, wow, what an opportunity to, like, get get these people for God. Yeah, I would – I mean, I – like, I think Lutherans aren't – they definitely – there is a little bit of a, like, okay, they only come on Easter and Christmas, like – Yeah, but that's p- more of a human thing than, a, like, a denominational yeah. thing. Right. That was more of a, like, well, I'm here every Sunday. Like, right. These people – whatever. Like, but it wasn't – like, it wasn't a huge deal, really. It was right. like, we're so glad to have you. Because that's – the Lutherans just love to have you there for their coffee hour. Like, they Absolutely. don't really care what your story is right this is the other thing is that because uh this talking about faith and being able to articulate faith and all of these things was so deeply ingrained and so part of everything like i think every conversation i have ever had with my parents somehow revolved around or came back to faith and i am not saying that that is like necessarily a bad thing obviously like my faith and my parents faith have a lot to do with who we all are as people But, like, I could not talk to my parents about, like, my homework without them pulling something from the Bible. Because, remember, the Bible is the only true authority in matters of faith, doctrine, and life. And so, if it's not in the Bible, it's not, it can't exist in your life. So, whatever. If I want to talk about God with my parents, I have to ask them about God. Which is a very different experience for me. Because even in my large family gatherings... God is often brought up and often discussed. And because I was expected to be able to articulate my faith, although I will say I was not necessarily expected to articulate my faith, I was expected to articulate the faith I was supposed to have, which at the time I didn't know those were different things. Um, They most certainly are now. (laughs) So moving on. All of that is the foundation of my faith. Then I would go to church camp. And I, uh, with both of the congregations that I was a part of, they both, um, like, supported the same camp. So I always went to the same one. It was a very similar experience to Della, where I went, like, every year for, like, 12 years. It was very much a part of my life, very much felt like a second home. I loved it so much and was so heartbroken later to come to terms with the manipulation that I experienced there. Again, I am not saying that anyone in this camp or that worked for this camp was trying to hurt me. I am explaining the ways in which I was hurt. Intent does not negate the consequences. Yeah. Often the, we would have a speaker at the camp. This was a, it was an outdoorsy camp. Like there wasn't like cell service and it was like in the woods, but it like. It was on a lake, wasn't it? Yeah, it was on a lake. And so there was like a lot of swimming and uh, they had horses. So there was horseback riding and um there was like you know the, like a rock tower and stuff but it was very like it was a lot more centralized than Christicon is like we weren't out on backpacking trips we were all like in the same camp the whole time and so we would often have uh quote unquote like celebrity speakers so these you wouldn't know any of these people probably <laughs> celebrity in your church like, sure yeah like, like Lutherans have people that are celebrities that no one else knows about right either they were christian motivational speakers or they were uh, youth pastors or pastors or generally somebody who had a lot of knowledge and like came up with this like five day whatever there was not the same person the whole time and so sometimes I would choose what camp to go to based on who was speaking who was going to be at that camp they generally had like two or three weeks for each age group mm-hmm. usually I just went with my church but you could go with a different age or the, your same age group at a different time if you wanted to uh, that was usually an option so the speaker, the person uh, sort of teaching us was not someone we were encouraged to have conversations with. Like, they were not available to us outside of their preaching. They were generally, like, they might be, like, around, but they were generally, like, sometimes they brought their family and so they were, like, in a separate place. And so, like, there wasn't really an opportunity to, like, ask questions to whoever was speaking. Usually a man. Um, I actually, I think I can only remember, like, one time that there was a woman who spoke. That was also my particular experience, so. Does the ECC ordain female pastors? Yes. I don't think they like it. Okay. <laughs> I have never... I never talked about it. Yeah, I have never experienced a female pastor in the ECC. I've also only been part of two congregations. Yeah. The, the women that 
I have had speak and that I have seen have not been pastors. They have been motivational speakers. So I know that the ECC does ordain women. I don't think they like it. I think that they would rather not, mm-hmm. but they kind of have to because of like society. Right. It's kind of bad to say you don't. Right. Yeah. It's a lot harder to explain that one away than it is to explain away Homophobia. not letting gay people. <laughs> so that was one thing. So this these people that were speaking were put up on a pedestal. They weren't just our counselors. They were somebody special. They were somebody important. Then uh, we would, I mean, like most church camps, uh, we would be absolutely run ragged. Like, we were running around all day long, staying up late. Often, they would wake us up in the middle of the night with, like, a fake fire alarm or uh, something like that and make us do activities in the middle of the night. Um, Glow-in-the-dark dodgeball was one. One time, they made us go down, like, a slip and slide at, like, 2 a.m. By the end, we were exhausted. We had been, like, force-fed all of this information. There was a lot of music that had, like, very, like, charged language and we were specifically expected to be very outward in our worship. So, like, raising your hands, singing really loud, dancing, like, all of those things was very much expected in that context, even because the Spirit was supposed to be moving you. And so, if you weren't doing those things, then it's like, well, what are, something is happening in your life. Like, there's a blockage somewhere that this isn't, like, getting through to you. And so, I felt very fake doing all of that. I just felt like I didn't want to be questioned about it. So after all of that, towards the end of the week, uh, they would have a cry night or a U-turn night is what this camp called it. So we are all tired. We are all emotionally charged. We have had a very long church service. Usually that that service is like two hours. And then at the end of the service, there's this like slow mood music and whoever is talking goes. Now, we're going to have everyone leave quietly and go out the back doors. If you feel called to take a U-turn and come back in, if you feel God calling you tonight to do that, we encourage you to do that and all of your counselors will be here. They will be willing to talk for as long as you need. As like a, I have questions about my faith thing or as like a, like what was, what were you supposed to talk about? So this was one of those big faith moments that they sort of orchestrated. Okay. So it was an orchestrated, this is a turning point in my life moment. So they wanted you to come and say, I've been struggling with drugs. I've been struggling with not reading my Bible enough. I've been struggling with not journaling. I've been struggling with my friends. I've been struggling with texting. I've been struggling with whatever insert here. Mm -hmm. And I need help. I am at rock bottom. I need to be saved. That is what was expected. And that is what, that's how it was set up. And many kids were led to believe that things that they were doing that were totally normal and very developmentally appropriate were incorrect and sins and. Right. Like texting a lot or slacking on your homework. Right. And a lot of those things, specifically for me, I always felt so much guilt about not reading my Bible and not journaling and not like doing Bible studies enough and not doing devotionals and forgetting to do devotionals. I have ADHD. (laughs) (laughs) remembering to do a devotional every day is really hard (laughs) like and so but that was something that I was very much shamed for so like this cry night yeah you're all like let out of the church Mm -hmm. and you're told like if you're struggling with something you're supposed to like turn around and talk to your counselors did you ever not turn around oh yeah Okay. And, like, what what happened if you didn't? Because it seems like the expectation is that you do. The expectation is definitely that you do. And I, in my memory, most people did. Yeah. Or at least, least like, a good amount. Like, it wasn't, like, a few people. Like, and they had every staff member in that chapel. So it wasn't a secret if you turned around. No. It wasn't a secret if you turned around. It also was not a secret if you didn't. Okay. Which is, was more of the thing. So, like... It was, it would have, it was always very easy to turn around. It was always very hard to not, which is sort of the opposite of what they were trying to say. Yeah. Because if you turned around, that meant that you had had a big faith moment. It had meant that like God had gotten through to you. You were making leaps and bounds in your faith. If you just left and went back to your cabin, your faith was stagnant. You did not get anything out of this week. You feel secure in your faith, which is a bad thing. And you you are distancing yourself from God. So that was always a harder decision. Um, By the time I was in high school, I was like, F this, I'm tired. (laughs) And so I would just leave fully knowing that like I would perhaps be judged for it. But would anyone ever like say anything to you? Um, Yeah. 
like, hey, you, like, mm, mm, uh, mm. <laughs> I think there was a lot of implied statements. Mm-hmm. Like, like, how are you feeling about this week? Like, Right. Like, there was a lot of sort of, like, trying to dig and figure out why you didn't. Mm-hmm. Because typically, like, that was an indication that you were hiding something. Mm-hmm. Or you trying to hide something from God or from whoever. Because surely everybody must be at rock bottom. Surely, surely all of these children must be at rock bottom in their lives. Um, but not even, like, everyone's struggling with something. You know, yeah, I like, mean, that's fair. Which yeah, is fair I mean, and true. Yeah. But if you aren't able to, like, um, acknowledge and come to terms with that, then, like, clearly you are in, in a rougher spot than, like, the people who turn. Like, you know, like, it's just that it's a weird, it was a weird double-edged sword thing. But as I mentioned, every staff member was in that chapel, which meant that if you were not, you were just unsupervised. Like, I was just, like, in the cap- my cabin alone for, like, three hours Oh, I was going to say, yeah. How long did it last? Well, as long as it needed to because they yeah. didn't care if we were up late. Right. Like, and we did have, like, a general, like, quote-unquote, like, bedtime, like, usually. But that night specifically, like, people would be in the chapel to 5 a.m., like, in my memory. Like, I... Right. Like, Who knows this? like yeah, I don't know, like, they may have had, like, a, a specific, like, end ending time i don't i can't speak for like everyone who was there but it seemed like a very very long time as a child i was like i feel like i shouldn't be left alone this long (laughs) right i mean i will say like working at christicon there were like a couple times during the day when campers would be unsupervised Mm -hmm. just because you know we would need to have a staff meeting every day sure yeah and generally during that though there were a couple staff that would like be wandering the cabin areas but it wasn't ever, like, long enough where any serious mischief could happen. It was, like, half an hour, 45 minutes max. No, and I don't remember any mischief happening, mainly because Which it... Which is surprising for... I mean, like, I'm sure teenagers. it happened. Um, you were kind of a narc, though, so I don't know if I you was a narc, about it. So no one would have told me. But also, like, I think that we were all just, like, so tired at that point. Right. Like, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually tired. Right. I would straight up just go to sleep. Anyway, so... That was my – so now we're through high school. <laughs> now I get to college. And I am still on fire for God. I'm like, I'm going to go to college and I'm not going to lose my faith because I'm going to prove that you can go to a liberal arts college and still be a Christian. That is my goal. This is my story. This is my song. So I joined Chi Alpha, which sounds like a sorority, but it's not. It is a campus Christian organization at the college that I went to. and uh, At many colleges. It's like a multi-college thing, Yeah, I think it? so. Yeah, it's like technically non-denominational, but it's sponsored by Assemblies of God, which, if you're not familiar, is – it's a charismatic branch of the church. So, it's a very – they're very into, like, the, like, speaking of tongues and, like, spiritual gifts, which, like, my parents' church also is. They, I say they are a little bit farther away from, like, the Lutheran branching off, but, like, generally along that same line, which is why it – I didn't know that when I joined, but that's why it kind of, like, was appealing to me. So I became very involved. Um, I sort of assumed that I would, you know, eventually become like a big leader in that organization. I, you know, at this time was making new friends. I had pretty much decided I wasn't going to be friends with any of my high school friends. So like as far as that, clean break. But my faith life was still going pretty strong. And then I met some gay people that weren't bad people. (laughs) Because... When you say that, like, what had you been led to believe about gay people previously? Yes, so I – not even just gay people. So I had been led to believe that if someone is living in sin – so if you were living in sin, that means you know you are sinning and you are continuing to do it even though you know you are sinning, i.e. being gay. <laughs> if you are living in sin and you are not repenting, you are not saying sorry and not doing it anymore, then you are so far distanced from God that you cannot possibly, like, be a good person. Like, knowing God is to love and and to love others. So, if you don't know God and you are far removed from God, then obviously, like, that's the antithesis to, like, being a loving good person. Um, I also lived in a town where, like, churches per capita <laughs> was, like, astonishing. Like, there were – I lived in a town of, like, just over a thousand people and there were, like, 12 churches. And so, like, I really didn't know anyone growing up that wasn't at least, like, on paper Christian. Like, there were maybe, like, a couple of kids in my high school. Did you know anyone who was, at that point, out as, like, no. gay or part of the queer No. Community? The only people that I knew were gay, like, in my real life, were one student 
who was bullied out of the school and then came out, one student who came out and then was driven to a suicidal attempt. And that was it. Those were the only people that I knew that were gay, like, in my real life. Until I was... You went to theater college. Until I went to theater college. And then, surprise of all surprises, I met some gay people. Truly shocking. Yeah. Who could have guessed that gay people would be in theater? Not to stereotype, but... But... Oh, my God. (laughs) The queers are alive and well in the theater community. (laughs) I did... I should back up a little bit. My cousin did come out um, before I went to college, I believe. Yeah, either before I went to college or my freshman year of college, and we weren't super close, And he, but because of the way in which he was having relationships, relationships at the time, which weren't necessarily healthy, which is just- We love you. Yes, we love you so much. Um, I think that was a product of age and situation and not a product of sexuality, but it was very easy for my family to attribute it. To like this is a problem because it's he is gay. in unhealthy relationships because, because they're it's a gay queer relationship. So obviously because... they can't work out and be able to sustain themselves. And at that point, we lived in close enough proximity to each other that we did talk occasionally. And yeah, so and I always tried when I gave him relationship advice because though I have been in very few relationships, I am the queen of relationship advice. I would always say. I am not giving you this advice because of who you are dating. I would give you this advice regardless of who you were dating. I'm giving you this advice because of the situation. Was that before or after you came around on gay people? Um, this was during. So, um, and I will, like, I will say, I never thought that being gay, like, intrinsically was a moral failing, but acting on it was. Mm-hmm. And this is, like, the Evangelical Covenant Church in their, like, statements about human sexuality um like very much one-to-one equates gay relationships with not only pedophilia but also bestiality which we can get into not accurate. but yeah we can get into how absurd that is but so like that was very much the connotation that i was raised with um my first semester freshman year i took a lovely class called intro to women and gender studies why did you take this class katie you may ask the answer is it was a triple dip for liberal arts credits. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and I, I took it too because it was a triple dip and a minor credit for me. Ooh, so it was a quadruple, quadruple dip. dip. <laughs> it's a great class. It's a great class. And Everyone should take a woman in gender sexuality. I do think that that is true. It was a fantastic class, fantastic professor. I learned for the first time in my life that men and women weren't equal in a practical sense. Because- Which is wild that you didn't know that from the church environment that you grew up in no because my the church environment that i grew up in was very like complementary complementarianism is the term i recently learned for that so uh they believe that men and women are equal in status in the eyes of god but they have different roles that they need to play so yeah so i learned for the first time about like lovely things such as systemic sexism and racism and classism and these were things i was learning about for the first time in my life. And then also, you know, obviously it's a women and gender and sexuality course. So we talked about human sexuality and all of those things. And during the same time, I was in the theater department and meeting people who were gay, who I, some of whom I didn't even clock as gay when I met them. And I was like, I, but I was always taught that like, you should be, you will be able to tell an unbeliever from a believer because like, they will be so different and they will, like, not have the light of God in their lives. But I was meeting all of these wonderful, kind, loving people who were also gay. And, like, reconciling that, granted, did not take me a super long time because, I I mean, I've always lived my life by, like, have an opinion, have it strong, be willing to die for it, but also be willing to change it when new information comes to you. And I think that partially is because of how I was raised um, in this church denomination, yeah, so that that's how I am now. I will have a stance. I will articulate it. I will fight for it. I will be right um, until new information comes to me, until I learn something new, until something new is revealed, and then I will change my mind because mm-hmm. that is just part of learning and growing and having opinions. Right. It's okay to change your mind. It is okay to change your mind, <laughs> um, especially when um, presented with new information. It's, and especially at that point in your life when right. you're new to college, meeting all these new people, like going through this huge transition. 
you're mm-hmm. going to become a different person when you go to college. Right. Or absolutely. when you leave the nest or whatever. Yeah. Like, that's just a very like, transitional period. Absolutely okay to change your mind when that happens. Right. So, by the end of my freshman year of college, I grabbed my friend Maddie, who is the queerest person that I know. And uh, we went into, like, a choir practice room or something. And I just sobbed. Uh, Maddie was the first person I came out to. Um, I had just very recently come out to myself. It was one of those, like, how did I not know this before? But because I'm bisexual, basically my options were you either like men or you like women. And I liked men. And that was correct. So, like, you didn't worry that's about that it. Either. Like, no. And I honestly, like, I didn't even realize until... Until I was in college. And, like, that was – that became a possibility. I did not know that you could be bisexual until college. Like, I didn't know that that was, like, a possible identity. I also didn't really know about trans people um, or other flavors of queer until college. Um, just because that was not something that was really discussed. So um, – Well, because also, like, if you're not going to be supportive of the gay community, you're not going to put a lot of effort into learning about the gay community. So, like – Right. It's the same reason why, like – I only learned enough about the gay community to try to convert them. Similarly to I only learned enough about uh, Mormons to try and convert them. I only learned enough about like Jehovah's Witnesses to try and convert them. I only learned enough about other religions enough to try to convert them. That was like a whole, I feel like that was a whole unit in like our youth group was like learning about other religions specifically so that we could be like, well, in your book, it says this. And in my book, it says this. And like, this is how mine is right. Like that was something that like we were taught to do. Never in your life. No, like, we we did learning about other religions so that we could, like, learn about other religions and respect other people's faith traditions. No. Um, also, I love the, like, using the Bible as evidence for, like, why you're right. But, like, why would your religious text be more important to them than their religious text is oh, to no, them? Oh, no, 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 no. Because did you know that the Bible is the only religious text that is backed up by archaeology and science? This is Katie playing devil's advocate. <laughs> Um, and, like, granted, I'm not going to say that there aren't parts of the Bible that are historically true. Right. Like, it is, like, it is a historic record of things that happened. But there's also parts of the Bible that are not historically true. Right. Correct. And that is where some people are like, oh, no, 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 no. Everything happened word for word exactly. And I'm like, "Mm." Really? Two she-bears mauled 42 boys? Well, that obviously happened. I mean, (laughs) Second Kings. (laughs) So at that point, so I was coming to terms with my sexuality, which was never something that was okay in my church. I was coming to terms with the fact that my worth did not depend on how good of a Christian I was Mm -hmm. because up until that point, it totally did. Like Mm -hmm. that was how my worth was defined was by how good of a Christian I was. And that was very normalized. And then I realized that like, because I found out that you could be a good person and not a Christian, I figured out that the things that I the reason why I was still doing Christianity was because I wanted to be a good person and then I was coming to terms with all of this religious trauma and so I was like you know what cold turkey no thank you so I stopped going to Chi Alpha which was I mean I didn't really have time to at that point because then I got involved in the theater department yeah and when you're involved in theater in college you you don't have time for anything anything else. else so um it was a convenient excuse though and I um stopped trying to search out churches to go to Um, Because I had um, been looking and I then looked into other religions. I considered uh, Buddhism, Taoism. Um, I looked into a lot of like pagan stuff and have recently been really into like um, more pagan practices and that I think are really interesting and the root of a lot of Christian practices. Uh But I was. There's a lot of paganism in Christianity. There's so much pagan. Like the ritual blood sacrifices. The ritual cannibalism, everything is stolen from pagan beliefs and traditions. Anyway, we'll do an episode. Everything, but no, everything, like literally everything. (laughs) So I, but I was always in that, like at least like agnostic. Like I never got to the point where I was like, I don't believe in a higher power. I always did. I was just sort of trying to find like a name and a definition. I was pretty just agnostic and pretty okay with that, and not really doing any religious practice at all. And then I met Della. Hi. And I introduced her to homophobia, and she introduced me to a religious community that was okay with me. Uh Like, just being... A religious community that was similar to the one you knew. 
that was similar to the one I knew with a very important difference, which is that they weren't trying to change who I was. Mm -hmm. And so I was brought into this wonderful, loving, supportive community. And I was able to rediscover all of the parts of my faith that I loved and that I missed. And I'm not going to cry. Um, <laughs> uh, the community that I had loved and missed, although I did get a lot of, I had a lot of community in um, the theater department and love all those people very much. And honestly found a lot of faith in, in that. The parallels between like, being a part of a faith community and being a part of a theater community are nearly exactly the same. <laughs> like <Correct. laughs> the similarities are astounding. Yeah. And and for yeah, I will say like for a long part of my life, theater was church. Yeah. And ch- what well, church is theater. Absolutely. There's a reason that the pews are facing the front. <laughs> <laughs> it's a performance. It's a performance. <laughs> but yeah, and so I because I had been able to deconstruct all of my, well, we're working on it, deconstruct a lot of how I was raised and a lot of the parts of my religious life that had told me that I wasn't enough and that I was doing it wrong and that if I didn't live up to this perfect ideal, then there's something wrong with me and the way that I am performing my faith. And there, if I'm not hearing God, then there must be some blockage in my life or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And getting rid of all of that and just being able to have a faith that was mine and not one that was prescribed to me, um, my faith is, like, a quarter of a step away from animism, like, <laughs> um, which is, like, the belief that, like, everything has, like, an energy and a power and a presence and life in it which um, physics does support. Like, everything is in motion. Everything is moving. Everything does have energy. And so, like, that is a big part of my faith. And also, I believe that God is so much bigger than just, like, old man in sky. Mm -hmm. God is... Is that energy. Is that energy in everything. And when I say everything, I do mean everything. God is that energy, that connectedness between everyone, the... The way that ecosystems can live in perfect balance, the the way that we love, the way that we care for others, the cyclical cycles of nature. Like, I, I see God in all of that, and I think that God is all of that. And so the point, then, of sharing my faith is not to check off a box and have people say that they believe in the same things I believe. So that I know that they are doing it right so they will go go to heaven. The point of sharing my faith is to say that I love you and I would love you if I wasn't Christian. But because this is a community that I'm in that is loving, come on in for coffee hour. And I really appreciate that. And most people, well, not most people, most people that come from a similar background as I have and are still in a similar situation, the first question I get asked is like, well, what about hell? <laughs> what do you believe about hell? Because, you know, that's the, you know, we've got the carrot of heaven and the whip of hell. And if you take that out of the equation, then what is there? But I think that, honestly, the afterlife is none of my business. <laughs> like, <laughs> like whatever's going to happen is going to happen. And if I go around condemning people and being rude to people and being mean to people and making myself try to be something that I'm not... And then taking that and then trying to make other people something that they're not and trying to live a life that is inauthentic to who they are, then why is that the point? Like, why do you want that to be the point? The point of my life now and the way that I see it is to love people in a verb sense, in a practical sense, to try to share the resources and give resources in a practical sense to the people that are around me. And right now, that is not a lot of people. It is mainly Della. (laughs) Right. I mean... Because I do not have a lot of extra resources. We are poor. Right. We're broke 20-somethings, like... And working way too much. But eventually, like, the goal is that I will be able to expand that into other people and other communities. And I'm very excited to become a member of this church and to become more involved because the church that we're becoming members of is an integral part of our community in very 
practical ways with food shelves, with homeless shelters, with insert a million things here. They are very committed to helping our community with no expectation of conversion, Mm -hmm. which is just mind-blowing to me because everything that I had done up until this point in my life, like the end goal was conversion. And if not you, the next person, like you were either you were sowing the seed or you were watering the seed of faith or you were cultivating the seed of faith or you were whatever. Um, But that is the goal. Whereas like the goal with helping people is just to help people because we should love each other in a practical, like actual sense Mm -hmm. and not just say we love people and then condemn their actions. What do you think God would have to say now about your sexuality? About my sexuality. In um, comparison to what you heard about gay people growing up. Yeah. So, um, I mean, we kind of know what I heard about gay people growing up. I think that God, if God was a humanoid being, which I don't think that they are, would say, yeah. <laughs> like, that's, yup. Whatever. Pretty sure either A, that was the design, that was the plan, or B, okay, like, <laughs> because my sexuality now is not a barrier to my faith. It is, it is something that because I've had to defend my faith now and defend how I believe I can be a Christian and also be gay, it has very much strengthened my faith and pushed me to actually, like, <laughs> do research and dig into things and Figure out what do I actually believe and figure out, and I'm not even going to say research, uh, like, review. Because, like, research, I, I have started recently say, only saying research when I'm actually talking about, like, actual, like, peer-reviewed studies. Mm-hmm. Like, you as a person, like, do not Reading do, a couple of Facebook posts is not research. Not research. It's review. You are reviewing something. Uh-huh. Um, you can do, so what I did was a lot of literature reviews and looked at a lot of different sources from a lot of different points of view and realized that the um, any of the sources that were saying, yep, homosexuality, homosexuality is wrong and here is why, had a very unnuanced approach to how they were reading scripture. It was like, well, in English, it says, man shall not lie with man, ergo, ipso facto, Gay sex bad. Gay sex bad. Um, whereas the sources that I was reading that were saying, actually, there's something else here. They were not only looking at, okay, here's what it says in English, but how did we get here? How was this translated? How, right, because the, the Bible wasn't written in English. Right. No, very much was not. The uh, Bible wasn't written in English. Jesus wasn't white. <laughs> <laughs> These are things that are true. Um... And so, like, how did we get here? How did we get to this point? Um, how was this translated? Who was translating it? Who made this decision? What does this actually say in the original Hebrew or Greek? Let's go to a scholar, somebody who speaks those languages, somebody who has done decades of academic research, and ask them, what are the connotations of this word? What are the connotations in this? Let's look at the actual, the entire passage. <laughs> uh-huh. Wow. Let's look at this passage surrounding this verse <laughs> and maybe see what the context of it is. And those were the sources that I was seeing that were doing those things, that were actually doing the work, whereas it was very easy for other sources to just say, well, there it is. And that wasn't, as as somebody who loves research and needs to know the answer for things, that wasn't enough for me. And the more I dug and the more I reviewed and the more I read and the more I understood, the more I understood that. There is no stance on homosexuality in the Bible. Mm-hmm. There isn't. There can't be. There wasn't language for homosexuality when the Bible was written. Right. And so, and you can say, yeah, but the only marriages in the Bible are between men and women. Yeah. yeah. The only marriages in society at that time were between men and women. Right. Well, but if that's how it always was, then that's the truth. Ma'am, No. <laughs> society is constantly evolving society is constantly evolving and there are um there are plenty of societal constructs that come and go and are here for short periods of time or are here for long periods of time it doesn't necessarily mean they are correct 
So, anything else I have to say? Please feel free to reach out to us on, on Instagram. Instagram. The um, handle is at Grace All Around. There are dots in between Grace. Grace all dot around. Yep. Yeah, DM us on there. You can also find our personal Instagrams from there. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's the only place we are on social media right now. Yeah, or if you like know us in real life. Oh yeah, I'm assuming that at this point most of you know us in real life. Text so, us. Yeah. <laughs> Feel free to just reach out through whatever way we usually communicate. Hi, mom. <laughs> so, uh, so that's it. Thanks for listening. I'm getting hungry, so I'm yeah. Like, <laughs> uh, yeah. Thanks for listening. Find us on Instagram at Grace All Around. I think our end bit is just going to be not knowing how to do the end bit. So I really don't want it to be. I really would love to come up with something. <laughs> Everything nice I say though, you're like cute. that's cheesy. Yeah, because it is. <laughs> Do you know how disgusting it is to tell people you have a podcast? Yeah, I hate it. Alright, thanks for listening to our podcast. <laughs>